For this, our 10th season, we will focus on telling true stories about the men and women we have come to know over 28 years of recovery. Each episode will tell the story of what life was like as an addicted or alcoholic person, what happened to wake that person up, and what is life like today. Not all stories are ones of success. Some of our friends didn't make it as they relapsed and so far have not come in from the cold. Some died in circumstances that had nothing to do with their disease. Others had a rough start, but they persevered and now enjoy a full and productive life. Some are old guys like me, and others are relative youngsters who serve as great examples to other younger addicts. Our stories describe addicts and alcoholics of many different cultures, a range of socioeconomic status, different generations, gender types, and sexual preferences, if they're relevant to their story. I like to say that addiction and alcoholism are equal opportunity predators. They don't discriminate. And you will see how the stories we share about our friends will prove the truth of that statement. This is episode 4, season 10. Frankie, have you seen Johnny? This is one of those stories that you want to come out happy if the gods have their way. Frank is one of those characters who has incredible native intelligence and was a partner with my brother on my brother's marijuana operation in Ontario, Canada. Some of you may know that Canada went to 100% legalization of marijuana use in October 2019. That's when my brother Amos started his operation. Rather, that's when his operation came out into the open because he had been growing dope for quite some time on his own. Two years ago, Thieves stole about 80 full-grown marijuana plants worth about $1,000 apiece, and my brother called the Ontario Provincial Police to report the theft. I'll let the irony of that one sink in. The pot being legal made it necessary to report the theft, but there was not a chance in hell that any of it could be recovered, of course. And it's not an insurable crop. I think the lesson for my brother was to make sure that he had 24-7 security from there on in which is where Frank comes in. He put himself in a position to partner with my brother on the marijuana operation by connecting to some potential buyers in his own home city. Frank suggested he could take care of nighttime security if he could just move into one of the trailer shacks on the property. Sure, my brother says, no problem, so long as you can manage to stay up all night, even with Buddy the dog hanging around. Buddy may bark, but he's an awfully friendly dog, and he's the type to help load the dope if you give him a little sausage or something. Works for me, says Frank. Frank had stopped drinking 20 years earlier, about the time his daughter Jonna was born. Naturally, everybody started calling her Johnny, and the name stuck and she was okay with it. But Frank still smoked dope, and one could see him sitting on the ground leaning against a kill, a drying barn, totally stoned, staring into space. The dope was free, and it was nasty powerful, so why not? Frank had himself a good deal. If he could get the big boys to buy the dope, he would pocket 40% of the net. He was also supposed to help with the crop and provide nighttime security, which looked like an impossibility since he was so stoned so often. But it worked out for a while. Then his beautiful 21-year-old daughter, Johnny, showed up one day with her stoner of a boyfriend looking for a place to stay. And, of course, Frank took them into his trailer shack by which time he had now had a porch attached and some winter siding and an air conditioner hanging out the back window, all the comforts of home, including a nice 42-inch flat-screen TV serviced by a satellite dish. 
Now I have to say that Johnny is simply one of the most drop-dead beautiful creatures I have ever seen in my life so far. Athletic, tall, green eyes, naturally wavy light brown hair, and a Grace Kelly face, or Charlie's thereon if you like. A tragic figure, alcoholic and trying so hard to quit. I tried to get her to come to some AA meetings, and she thought she wouldn't belong. She was too young. That was not her, not her style, not her crowd. I heard later that she did go, but relapsed again and again. Even her dad encouraged her. We, my brother Amos, her dad Frank, and I would sit with her and encourage her to get clean and sober. She didn't smoke dope. She smoked tobacco, but she did love her hard liquor. Why she had that loser of a boyfriend around, we had no idea. She was just up against so much. Her dad, Frank, did love her mightily, but he was handicapped by his own obsession with marijuana. We did not realize that she was pregnant when she came to stay with Frank, but soon enough, there was a baby boy who looked just like his loser of a dad, who took off, of course. One day, we couldn't find Johnny anywhere. She had left little Joey with her dad for the night, and she was supposed to be home at least in the early morning hours, like 3 a.m., but there was no sign of her at 9 o'clock in the morning. My brother and I went looking for her, leaving Frank to watch both the operation and the kid. The workers usually showed up around 9 a.m. to process the marijuana. They pull the buds off the stems, shave the buds, weigh, label, and vacuum pack each one-pound bag. The farm is less than two miles from town, where the bars and the pool halls are, and the local jail is right there as well. The OPP, the Ontario Provincial Police Station, is further west on good old Highway Number 3. First we check the jail, and she's not there. Then we check the hospital, no emergency admissions. Drove over to Port Dover, a small town on the shores of Lake Erie, only eight miles or so from her hometown, nothing. Called around. About noon, the bars started opening. We find that she had been seen in the company of a biker who had a very nasty reputation, but was also a charmer with the ladies. And that gave us a bad feeling in our stomach. But to our immense surprise and relief later that day, she called her dad from Holmes House, a local rehab to which the biker had taken her, because she said she had had it with her life. She checked herself in and lo and behold got clean and sober. She did not want her little boy taken away from her. That was the thing. We were very relieved. We were all very angry because she didn't let us know a damn thing for almost 24 hours. She said that between the hard stuff and the cocaine, she was very out of it and had no idea where she was or who she was hanging out with out there on a warm summer's night until she came to. I would see that beautiful lady at some of our local AA meetings in town when I came back home. Every town in that area of southern Ontario has an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting at least once a week, so you get the tour of Norfolk County just by showing up at one of our AA meetings. Two of my favorites are the one in Port Dover, which takes place Friday nights in the basement of a church. It's right on the shores of Lake Erie. There is a ship's bell on the main table with the year 1948 engraved on it. That is the year that AA started in Port Dover to serve the merchant seamen who would have a safe place to go on a Friday night instead of the local bar. The other favorite AA meeting also takes place in a church, but it's on the but the church is on the Mohawk Six Nations Indian Reservation. There is a woman there revered for her ancient wisdom that just emanates from her being. That's a great meeting. 
Yes, Frankie did find Johnny after all. Johnny found salvation despite all those terrible odds against her. She finished York University uh, and now teaches middle school kids, guess where? At the Six Nations Indian Reserve, as it's called. And she says, it's okay if you call me Johnny. So far, the gods have had their way. What have we learned about the story of Frankie and Johnny? We learned that, one, there is a goodness within people that we don't often see because they are not, quote, our kind. Two, Frank loved his beautiful daughter but was not able to help her due to his own addiction. It took a village to save her. Three, Johnny must have figured out that she could no longer stay alive or sane if she kept up the life she was leading and she didn't want to lose her little boy. Four, ultimately, it was the luck of the draw that a space was available at a local rehab, and it is to her great credit that she seized the opportunity to help herself and keep her little boy. Our podcast is sponsored by SafeHouseRehab.com, a modern approach to recovery. To learn more, visit us at SafeHouseRehab.com.